in another era, in another life. I escaped conscription, managed to do that in Navy, and there'll be a Navy comment later, but I didn't escape conscription this time because uh, when Melinda sent the text yesterday, it was almost like, you have no choice. <laughs> so, family, welcome. Welcome to those on Zoom joining us, and uh, let's go. We've been talking about verses that shape us. I think one of the things that happens in verses that shape us, they're not always consistent and static. They're verses that our Lord gives us at times when we need them. And I think sometimes we'll read the scriptures and it'll, it'll be the word of God that speaks to us, but not in big ways. And every now and again, we go back and reread that passage and a light bulb comes on. And so that passage at that time even becomes a significant word that shapes us and changes us and supports and nurtures us. So what I'm doing today is picking up what, for me, have been four foundational verses or four foundational passages. They are the the verses that shape me. They are the words of God that have encouraged and sustained me. And the first is, in a sense, this is the problem with preaching. You sort of get it all sorted and then you sort of go to sleep and you half wake up and then in the morning you do other things. So I've got scribble all over this. That's the way my brain works. So it seemed to me... and. They don't quite fit, but, but they fit well enough. The first couple of verses are, I think, a mission. They certainly have been for me in the way I've gone about life since I became a Christian. It's the words of Micah. You'll know all of these verses well. There's no surprises here. He has shown you what... He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I must admit that often the verses of Scripture are more aspirational than real. We would all like to be perfect, but we're not. We still live in the brokenness of the fall. But at the same time, we are encouraged to move forward and to do what God would want. While I was working with the US Navy, there was a chaplain called Mike Colson, and he shared a character insight. One of the things chaplains do in all defence forces, is do what they call character training, where they try and encourage their their people to see a bigger picture, to build character so that they act in a moral and appropriate way, despite uh, what they're being trained to do. And Mike taught me this, uh, this character insight. He suggested the image of a ship being a Navy chaplain, and he suggested that the superstructure, the deck, the funnels, All of those parts of a ship that we see are less important than what lies below the waterline. And the old shipbuilder in me resonated with that straight away because below the waterline are all the things that sustain the ship. It's the mess decks and the sleeping accommodation of the crew. It's the engines. It's the rudder that steers it. It's a propeller that drives it. So below the waterline in any ship is actually the important stuff. The other stuff's pretty, some more than others, but what Mike was saying is to his people, what's below the waterline? What are those things that sustain and drive and steer your life? So Mike was asking for substance from people. Mike was asking for them to think in bigger pictures. And that's what Micah does for us. He talks about substance. He talks about principles that shape life. 
and things that don't, aren't seen but drive us. The attitudes of justice, mercy and walking humbly. My second reflection is from Genesis chapter 1. I believe Genesis is absolutely a foundational book in the scriptures, especially those first three chapters. I think foundation is the word I've used here. If Micah is about mission, this is about foundation. And I've selected these few verses out of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And here's the kicker. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Now, if you go back and read those verses, almost each time God creates it, whether it be the light or the, the world or whatever, he says, yeah, it's good. And then at the end, it was very good. Genesis informs us in these verses and in the, as it un unravels that we are made in the image of God. The beauty of the image metaphor is that we are that, an image. We're not a clone. We are not God, but we are in the image of God. And one of the images of God is the relational and revelationary part of that. God is always speaking to us and through us. And throughout chapter 1, each time we see God creating, as I've said, he says it is good. I think this is foundational because it teaches us who we are. One of the things I think is that the life of adolescence is about working out who we are, how we fit and where we belong. I think Genesis begins that process. It tells you who we are, we're created. It tells we belong, belong in community with God. And it teaches us we have work to do. My old colleague at the hospital, Kevin O'Loughlin, was a deeply compassionate and wise person. I'd often sit at morning tea and he, in a very gentle way, would be saying something to me. And I'd stop him and say, Kevin, you're telling me off. He said, yes, because you need it. <laughs> Not a new thing. But one of the things Kevin would often say, now he was a priest who didn't always fit neatly within the Catholic Church. He didn't feel connected with many of the doctrines and many of the ways that the church operated. But he had this little saying that was really foundational. He would say, expect the good. Expect the good. It was almost his benediction or blessing, often when you'd part. For a man who lived with, as I said, a struggle with his community, a personal disability, he could see God's con con creation continuing in the way we live life. And I'd want to say that's emphasised by Paul in Galatians chapter 3, where he talks about that creation. And he says we are all one in Christ Jesus, no longer Jew nor Greek, so where racial stuff doesn't come into it. We're no longer slave nor free. We all have agency in Jesus. And there's no longer male or female. Interesting in some of the theology that goes around today. The next reason reading is from Matthew chapter 27. It's also in Mark 15. And it's the words of Jesus on the cross. They're startling, harsh, blunt words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as devastating as the words of Jesus on the cross are, they're significant for me and I think for us. We sometimes buy into the nice Jesus. 
It's easy to confuse care and compassion with lack of character and strength. We sometimes forget Jesus' robust nature. He challenged the political and academic world of his time. He took on injustice, whether it was the money changes in the temple or offering forgiveness to those who, who struggled with life, those who were impaired, people like the lepers, the blind, and those who were deemed to be marginalised on society because of their lifestyle and what was perceived to be sin. And what these words allow us to do, if Jesus can cry out from the cross and in a sense say to God, where are you? We have permission to be as transparent with our God as Jesus was on the cross. Because it shows us a real and engaged King Jesus. Not having to hide our emotions, our fears, our failings. For if we cannot live in transparency with Jesus, then we are truly lost. Because if we have no engagement, we have no relationship, we have no wholeness. Now, I'm not wanting to paint a perfect picture. We've already touched on that. We all struggle and stumble in this journey. So I'm not preaching a perfection, but I am saying that that is the way we need to be heading. And it's delightful that today we've had a song about lament because we know life is not perfect. One of my favourite observations around all of this comes from G.K. Chesterton, who suggests that true faith is hammered out on the anvil of doubt. The same struggle that Jesus had is the ones that we have. The last reading comes from Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus says to his disciples after he gives them the Great Commission, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. As I've said, I often reflect on the task of adolescence being working out who we are, where we fit and how we belong. I used to think that was just an adolescent task, but as I have got greyer hair, I realise it's probably a lifetime task. And that's okay. If we approach it and realise it's not just angst, it's actually living because we are alive to who we are and what's happening for us. And this sense of belonging, I think, for me, grounds itself back in King Jesus. It is the sustaining thing. So if we have a mission and a foundation. If we have a relationship, we also have a sustaining Jesus who maintains his presence with us. To me, that's the reason I can sit with people in pastoral care, not taking their stuff on myself. And I'm not trying to say that we're not compassionate, but realising that this is about Jesus being with us. Jesus is the one who is there to sustain, encourage and be with us. I'm not suggesting a Pollyanna view of life where everything is all nice and pretty and easy, but a real sense that I don't have to fake it with Jesus because he is with me and present and active. That's the reality of the cross that we talked about earlier. It's expecting the good. It's living below the waterline. It is accepting that I am created good for a relationship with the creator who reveals life in Jesus. These verses have been for me a touchstone and a guiding principle as I stumble after Jesus. You will have your verses, the things that have shaped and drive and encourage you. They don't have to be these because they must be yours. 
but they are foundational, life-giving and affirming for me. And they are the subversive to our world. They are the foundations of the kingdom of King Jesus. And that is always subversive because it always calls us, like Jesus did, to challenge those things that do not set people free, that do not allow mercy, that do not allow justice. So to go back to Micah, for me, it is try to walk that, that story of Jesus where I attempt to act justly, with love and mercy, and with humility. Now and again, I get it right. Often not. Don't ask Mary. She'll tell you. My kids even more. But they're, they're the ones that have shaped me. I trust there are some verses that have shaped you and continue to shape you as you follow King Jesus. What I'm going to suggest is that for a moment, and I was told not to do this, I won't tell you by whom, I'm going to suggest that you take a moment or two just to reflect on where you are with these verses or your own, and then I'm going to invite you to share with the Richmond prayer, partly because we haven't prayed it for a while and partly because I think it speaks about the foundation of who we are. So let's spend a moment of quiet and then I'll call you to prayer. King Jesus, you are the living word through whom God has spoken and revealed himself to us. Words matter because they teach us and remind us and name for us who you are, who we are and what you've called us to. We come here together as a gathering of your people because you have promised to work in us as a community. We acknowledge the space in which we meet, grounded in our time and place, learning from those who've walked here before and those who walk beside us. Our posture is one of humility and worship towards you and of love and generosity toward your people. We want to participate in all you are doing among us as a church family. And we want to join you in your mission in our neighbourhood. You have invited us to live in your big story, the story of redemption and restoration, doing life together in a way that makes your kingdom known. We thank you for the rhythms of our life together each week and each year and for the ongoing practices of prayer, worship, relationship, engagement and mission that continually shape and form us. We want to be partnering with you in your work so that you might be transforming our culture through us and the world around us. Inspired by your spirit, we want to live with your imagination of all that can be. We long for life with hope for the day that you are even now working towards when you will once and for all renew and restore all things. Amen. Well, folks, it's time for us to go share community and family. Time for us to share coffee and story. And one of the things about Richmond is hearing and sharing stories of life. And then something I learned from Father Kevin. When the, when the Catholics talk about Mass in its proper sense, it's not the communion, although that's what we think of. Because the words of Mass, the eta essa mest, 
in the Latin, and I probably got that wrong. The words mean you are sent. And so after your time here fellowshipping, go out into the world that God loves and engage with the people you meet. Go well, expect the good.